0: Greetings, fair ghouls and friendly ghosts. Welcome to Give Me Goosebumps, hosted by your fellow specters as they rediscover and relive the terrors of childhood. But, listeners, beware. Actually, (laughs) you know the drill. Hi, I'm May. the moths in the back of your closet eating holes in your favorite sweaters. And I'm Nova, the glitch in the matrix that shares your search history with your boss. This week on Give Me Goosebumps, we decided to do a newer movie. Since the last two episodes, we did Goosebumps, something from our childhood, and Erie, Indiana, something we wish we had in our childhood, but we didn't know it existed. Now, this week, we're going to be doing A Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting, which is a movie on Netflix that came out last year in 2020. It is based on a book series. The first book was published in 2017, the second in 2020, and the third in 2021, this past June. So we don't know when this series is going to end or how long the movie franchise will go on Netflix, since you never know with Netflix, but there is a second one already in the works. So Nova, what did you think about A Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting? Would you like to like explain what the movie is about, the premise of it? Yes.
1: Uh, it's very cute. It is about a secret society of babysitters that also hunt monsters and protect... Uh, what did they call them? Pledges? Something weird. Not pledges. That's f- fraternity. I
0: don't remember. I didn't write that one down.
1: <laughs> pledges, though. They- <so. laughs> yeah, they're pledges.
0: But there was a word. I do remember that. Because there was one girl that was like, you're a babysitter in training or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they're all babysitters, and it's also implied that uh, this has been going on for decades, because they
0: name-dropped a bunch of famous people, like, notable women. Rosa Parks was a babysitter, Cleopatra was a babysitter, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I loved that, too. Something that I loved and also something I guess to criticize a little bit. The first movie it tried to pack in so much lore that I was like, whoa, where are we? I don't know if you felt that way too. Yeah. I got bogged
1: down at times. Like not in a bad way. There was just so much stuff going on that I wanted to like learn about. Like I know we had to pause on on the book they were going through because I was just so obsessed with uh, the listing for the bad guy they were. <laughs>
0: oh yeah and then they were like and there's seven more of them and i was like okay we're halfway through this movie either this is going to be one movie and we're going to have seven bad guys in a row or they're making this into a series and we did not know yet oh i was just i was like oh please give me a sinister
1: seven of nasty people and i guess that's what uh it's apparently probably leading up to
0: oh yeah definitely Um, I know that at the very end they do like a little hint of what the next monster is going to be and that was very exciting. I'm very excited. But uh, it opens with um,
1: our protagonist is um, a younger girl. Her name is Kelly and it opens with her being attacked by a monster while she's being babysat and then it goes to present day and everyone teases Kelly because she's still believes she was attacked
0: by a monster. And she's so smart that she skipped a grade ahead, and it opens with her in the math class um, doing a very hard equation in her mind. If you've seen Sherlock and you know what the mind palace is, it's exactly that. She, like, sees the numbers in front of her. That, um, um the
1: mm-hmm. gif, the gif of, uh, what, Zach Galifianakis with all the numbers <laughs> going across his yes. face? That is literally, <laughs> but it's in, like, purple like it kind of reminded me of like purple gel pen <laughs> cuz oh, yeah purple gel pen equations pop up every time she does something but it it doesn't feel forced actually like everything she's doing leads into something else like it's not just look at all
0: these things this smart girl can do it's like look at this smart girl yeah she's handy And then you know, like, how she's going to fit in with the group dynamic of this organization later. Because, you know, if there's a group of four or five people, they all have to have their own purpose. (laughs) Which we'll get into when we meet them. Um, But anyway, so she is not a babysitter. But then her mom puts her up for a babysitter job on Halloween to, I think, suck up to some other teacher. Not teacher. Another parent in the PTA or something like that. Uh,
1: A very cold mother. Um, She's literally caught cosplaying. She's literally dressed up for Halloween as an ice queen. My notes say, oh, wow. She's a MILF.
0: (laughs) I love her. And she is. (laughs) I just love that moment at the beginning where it's like the mom calling her the ice queen and then uh, Kelly, the main girl, our protagonist showing up and she's dressed up as the ice queen. She was like, oh, like literally. (laughs) (laughs) That was cute.
1: um, the Ice Queen, I did not write her name down. Uh, she does leave um a pretty specific list for Kelly to follow.
0: You know, <laughs> like, you can give him three pieces of candy, but I'm not talking actual candy. It's like apple slices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he has to be asleep by nine if you can get him to fall asleep because he has a history with babysitters and not being able to fall asleep at night. Um, and then the second that the mom is out of the house, you hear him in the background, like, scurrying through the fridge or through the cabinets, like, shoving yeah. chocolate in his face. Yeah. And then, um, how did the minions get there? <laughs> she goes to put the kid to sleep and she's like, there's no such thing as monsters. And oh, yeah, they, that's and right. Then they, and then they steal him. Yeah, he's that's scared. Right. He's scared and she betrays. Well, I guess she's trying to be a good babysitter. But she's never babysat before, which is also a thing that I don't really get about this whole, like, babysitter secret society, is people are just thrust into it. They don't choose to be part of it. Like, how are new babysitters supposed to know what they're up against? Like, And to fast forward a little bit, her, um, her charge... I think they call, they oh, call them hell charges. Yeah, it sounds way better. <laughs> her, her charge gets kidnapped by these monsters um, who are like these like little colorful demony guys, you know, with horns and lopsided eyes and sharp teeth. Yeah, they're supposed
1: to be super nasty, but they honestly are more appealing to look at than the minions.
0: They're really, they're just cartoonish. Um, the only nasty thing is that they have all these like pouches in their belly like kangaroos and they just continuously shove things in there and pull it out and i hated that (laughs) they like shiny things um they love shiny things and they tend to barter but they're not bartering today no right after the boy gets kidnapped kelly runs outside and suddenly on a moped is a girl with platinum blonde white hair and a baby on her back. And she's like, we had a nightmare ping. What's going on? Like, she already knows everything. Her name is Liz. Her name is Liz. And she's very mean to Kelly because Kelly is a new babysitter and doesn't know what she's doing. And is like, why didn't you follow any of the rules? Like, why aren't you taking care of your kid like you're supposed to be? And it's like, that's when I was like, wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> she, You don't know her because she's never babysat before. How are you going to be like, just be nice? Well, I think it has to
1: do with, um, you know, her tragic backstory that we find out with later. It's it's almost as if, like, because Liz already, she gets drug in kind of young.
0: That's right? True too.
1: Yeah. She's got that Mulder backstory where she's got a missing sibling. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also
0: why she's harsh, but, you know, new new girl. Um, But then she, I mean, she does, like, become integral she does help her i mean this is a kids movie they all band together they're all friends they have very tolerable male characters in this yeah
1: (laughs) that's a a nice way of saying it (laughs) Uh, sorry uh listeners no offense but i was so concerned they had this quirky best friend character and i was just so concerned it was going to be like ducky, pretty, and pink. And it wasn't. And I was so pleasantly surprised.
0: It was sort of weird because they introduced that kid as like her best friend. And then he just kind of disappears from the movie. Yeah, he called her one time after that. It's kind of funny. That was so funny. It was like, why do you even set me up with like an important character if you're not going to utilize them at all? Like she makes new friends and it's fucking over for that kid. It's, it's true. And honestly, I would say the same. Like I know it the
1: romantic interest pops up again at the end but you can almost like secret society slash cult really that that's her new life now I don't think she's gonna really talk to any of these old people again
0: you're right and it's I think that it's so funny that kids shows always have these like romantic interests right watching it as adult is just so I can't do it I hate it but it was just there. <laughs> It was just there. I I guess we'll see what happens in the next one. But he's just some guy with a middle part. Yeah, he didn't even have consistent characterization because it was like because there wasn't enough time for him. Truly, but the it's problem like, is one like, scene
1: he was one way for sure, and then the other way it was like, okay, can you pick a stereotype? It was weird it though. I
0: mean, well, I don't think that i think he's just the generic hot boy who's yeah. like nice and this is a thing in like a lot of young adult stuff right now like uh to all the boys i love before noah centineo <laughs> shit yeah. like noah centineo plays that boy every time he's just a bland guy everyone thinks he's the hottest boy in school and he's just like nice like he's yeah, just he's- not a dick like that's it bars on the ground that's why I said they were some really tolerable characters in this one. <laughs> anyway, this isn't about him. No, this it isn't about him. him. The side <laughs> character, I literally don't think I caught his name at all the whole movie. Uh, no, uh... I, in my mind, his name is Kevin, and that. <laughs> but I have no reason behind that. I just feel like I, I pictured him in my mind, and he looks like a Kevin to me.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, I... I was really
0: focused on learning how to say the bad guy's name. Oh, true. Because they said it about a a thousand times in the movie, and it took me a thousand and one times to realize how to pronounce it. I was like, this is gibberish. (laughs) Uh, I wish I was there.
1: I wish I was there. (laughs) Anyway, uh, it becomes really apparent that there's a bigger bad at play, and- it's alluded to pretty early on that it's the same monster that attacked Kelly when she was younger.
0: He's just one of many, and they just call them boogeymen. So yes. there's apparently seven major boogie, boogeymen, boogey people. Boogey people. Are they all boogey people? I think so. They just all have different forms.
1: I don't know because I feel like... I was going to say, did the Spider-Woman have boogie listed or ira- or... both words on the page and i'm just
0: like you know i don't remember but i do remember when you find out about grand they say he's one he's like a lesser boogeyman he's okay and he's he's number one on the list and they showed all seven of them in a row like there are seven of them yeah okay and so i think we're just going up against the boogie people because the boogeyman is like the evil force that all children have in their lives like under the bed, in the closet, which are literally where all of these creatures emerge to steal the children. Like uh, it's just, it's yeah. just playing on that childhood fear of being alone in the dark at night and what else could be out there. For sure. And that's why I think that that's the the whole cast for like cast system for like these monsters are just like boogeymen. Yeah. It is interesting though, because they have a whole book in the movie and then it flips to the boogeyman, which means that boogie people aren't the only monsters it's just like one section i feel like this would have been better as a tv show yeah than as a movie franchise because then we could have like spread the lore out we could have done like Mm -hmm. monsters per episode the book series itself on the like harper collins website says goosebumps meets the last kids on earth why would you compare this to Goosebumps and then make movies? I don't know why Netflix chose to do movies. I think it's in part that like young adult thing where like Hunger Games, Twilight, like you could do one movie per book. But I just feel like we could have spread this out and done a series instead, maybe not even a season. Like who fucking cares? We don't have to do like a season per book. I know there's not enough content in one children's book to do a whole season. I just think that like you could do two books in one yeah, like they did with um lemony
1: snake at this most recent time
0: exactly um and i feel like we could get because we're shoving so much lore into these movies and we're focusing on this one subsect and i don't know if the books do that too because i haven't read them i don't know if the books are just about these boogie people or if they do expand to other kinds of monsters since there are only three books I can only assume though if this author is going to keep writing books it's probably going to go beyond the boogeyman and start doing other monsters because it is called A Babysitter's Guide to Monster Hunting not A Babysitter's Guide to Boogeyman you know?
1: Yeah I I agree but also I'm low-key glad that Netflix is kind of doing it movie-wise mm-hmm. Because it looks like they're more inclined to make a billion sequels of a movie than keep, like, TV shows that people like going. It's like, who asked for three Kissing Booth movies? <laughs> Nobody! Who? <laughs> so, in my head, at least maybe they'll make three of these, because while I didn't hear about this, because Netflix is kind of ass at
0: advertising... Oh, yeah. I found this by accident when I was, like, looking up stuff like Goosebumps. Yeah. And then it came up as a suggestion, and I was like, oh, this sounds really cute. And it was. And it was cute. We haven't even, like, gotten into all the cool
1: gadgetry that comes with uh, being part of this babysitter's club.
0: (laughs) I mean, we we might as well get into that now. I I will say, overall for the movie... Great. I really liked the set decoration. I thought the monsters were kind of generic, but like the design was okay. I thought they were still cute and they were still, you know, vaguely creepy. A little more cartoonish than grotesque.
1: I like that they were brightly colored so they wouldn't be like too scary. Mm -hmm. I like the cartoony feel to it. Like it's still something you want to show your kid without traumatizing them uh tom felton does a beautiful job as a grand uh guignol, uh oh he's great yeah i have
0: a <laughs> i have a, a, a couple notes about him because I oh, think absolutely we will be circling back to him but he's great he's nasty oh he's very nasty and i remember looking at the cast and going oh cool tom felton's in this and then i totally forgot and he really does disappear into the role and into the latex that they put around his eyes Oh, he eats it <laughs> up
1: and he does a little song and dance. And oh my gosh, eats, I want... He doesn't eat, eat children's dream. he, dreams. He wants to weaponize the dreams. And then... Unleash an like army a, of nightmares. Yeah, unleash an army of nightmares. And there's... Again, there's a lot of lore here. <laughs> like certain kids that are capable of like imagining harder than other ones. And naturally this kid that Kelly is supposed to be watching. One of those kids. But, good news... He doesn't fall asleep easily, so that's actually how he remains
0: pretty safe. Yeah, because Tom Felton's little song and dance doesn't put him to sleep. Yeah, Tom Felton just keeps singing him a sh- uh, shitty lullaby, and this kid's like, mm, no. Oh, and he's like, what will make you fall asleep? And the boy's like, I just like to- tr- my mom gives me a big cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah and then you think for a second like oh okay it's gonna do that stereotypical thing where adults are just idiots and then he's literally like how stupid do you think i am kid and it just cuts to the next scene and we were like oh okay cool cool yes there's also a cat lady monster in here uh underutilized oh my god i know and i think they, they insinuated that it was um kelly's babysitter who protected her as a child but uh didn't I mean, it's not like she didn't survive the attack from the Grand Guignol or whatever, but it's, it's like insinuated that he like corrupted her somehow and now she's this cat lady. Yeah, and like, you have to
1: really be paying attention to catch that because May absolutely told me about it when it was over.
0: I miss that. There's just so much going on. I mean, that's my big complaint is like, there's just too much happening. It's all super cute. And I'm really
1: into it. Like the gadgetry of it all. And like the lore to the actual like rules for babysitting. Like they have, uh, there's a point where, um, one of them puts a baby powder circle around their uh, baby to protect them from the monsters.
0: And I'm oh, like, oh like a, my God, yeah. Small
1: circle. Yeah, a circle. And it was just uh, cute things like that. And it was things that babysitters already had on them. So like one of them uses a view master to scan something. I believe that- uh, uh They had the they teddy bear. The teddy bears that were like smoke bombs. Yeah, I you feel pull like, the ear off. Mm-hmm. I feel like somebody like- Used a baby bottle at some point or something.
0: Yeah, there was the part where they use a string of lights. It's like one of those light ropes, basically, to like ward off the monsters because they're afraid of the light. Yeah, it, it's what kills them. There were just a couple of moments that I just thought were like so much. They're so. I don't even know how to, it's just campy. Like they did that whole thing where like Liz was fighting one of the monsters, but like around the corner. So she's just a shadow on the wall. And um, the main girl, Kelly is like on the phone with the mom of the child. Like, Oh no, that's there. We're just (laughs) watching a scary movie. Like it hits all the tropes. Like it checks all the boxes for like silly things. The cat lady. I like her. There were some really great sets too. the ball pit set. What, it was, like, an indoor little amusement park for kids. I really liked the Cat Lady's, like, lounge. Uh, very, like, art... I don't even know if it was Art Deco or if I'm just saying that because I'm imagining in my mind it was Art Deco, but it was, like, a, <laughs> like an old-timey lounge, you know?
1: Yeah, there was just so much going on that you couldn't even catch the details for what was going on. You'd get distracted by something. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to look up if kids used view masters now it's vr related it's vr related and the one that she used in the movie looked like one from the 70s so i believe that they passed the tech down but like they didn't tell me that that was nova going online and doing research Mm -hmm.
0: um i i do think it's funny because for all the the like really fun sets and stuff to contrast it they did that uh entire scene where uh, the boy was doing, the, the one token boy in the organization for babysitters was doing his research on stuff and he was calling other countries to get ingredients. <laughs> and the inter- it was just the international green screen compilation. It was so funny. Of kids dressed up from other cultures. It was really cheesy, but it wasn't mean hearted. It was actually very sweet to see like this connection Like, of all cultures, all speaking their own languages. Like, they weren't all just speaking English. And I think that's something to be proud of for this movie. I like how uh, multicultural and, like,
1: international this whole organization is in the grand scheme of things. I'm obsessed with it. It makes me kind of be like, can this next one be set in England or something? Like, I know we're going to follow the same kids. I'd like to follow the same kids. But there's opportunities.
0: Yeah, there's opportunities to, like, bring in other agents.
1: Can you study abroad through the babysitting club? But alas, they didn't tell me how this works. They just gave me this, and then they just kept giving me things. But they never really, like, I'm sure a kid was fine with it, and it's just me being an adult overthinking things, but there was just so much to chew on. I I just couldn't swallow anything.
0: yeah it was a lot and i think that i think that that's why the movie does not have like good reviews and i think that part of that is just like adult film reviewers are going to be a lot harder because they're adults and they can see the issues versus kids don't um but i was reading a review that gave it one star there's a cheesy, detached quality to the visual effects, part of the overall low-budget look of the film. The chintziness calls to mind the Spy Kids movies, which Robert Rodriguez famously made for a song while wearing multiple hats throughout production. Okay, so first of all, you're are you praising Robert Rodriguez for making an incredible film for children and then for the same reason saying this one sucks? What's that all about? I think that the cheesy detached quality that you're looking at is just the way that visual effects for children look. They don't do realistic effects. It's too expensive and it's unnecessary.
1: Yeah, kids' imaginations are way better than ours. And why would you wanna dump a bunch of money into making scary, scary, scary monsters that kids are gonna be too scared to look at? Like Exactly. The kids that the kids that want to see the scarier stuff are going to find a way to see the scarier stuff. You might as well, like, mainline the more cartoony
0: monsters. At the end of this uh, review, it says that this movie occupies a bland, mushy middle. Like the smushed-up, fun-sized Three Musketeers bar that's sitting at the bottom of your Halloween candy bowl. Um, That's still a candy bar! That is still edible, my friend. And Three Musketeers are yummy. They are, and as somebody who as a child, would
1: just eat the shell of the three musketeer and then the middle. <laughs> I'm not
0: that Okay, that makes me feel way less weird. I love that. I mean, I wouldn't do the whole thing, but, you know, section at a time. Yes, of course. Because
1: if you did the whole thing, then you'd get sticky and you'd get your germs on it. And that was too much stress for me. But <laughs> as someone who ate their three musketeers that way, I'm obviously not going to turn my nose up at one that's smushed. Exactly. It was still sweet. Just because there was so much lore doesn't mean there wasn't something that they could maybe hone in on mm-hmm. for the next one.
0: Oh, I also want to say, like, I like the way that they um, they solve problems, too, in this movie. Uh, like, using the laser on the chandelier to distract all the cats. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Um, the way that they use that little light rope to, like, uh, I don't actually know who that is. They caught a, like a shadow creature is that one of the boogeymen or not I don't know I, I only know Grin Grinul. yeah because they caught that um, like spider kind of thing which I think is going to be the spider woman that comes up in the next one so she's going to be free and then she's going to be pissed and attack them something like that but they used a light rope to like pull her into a box and then just she was just a little guy <laughs> and I really liked that she's just a little guy and then at the very end of the movie, they just tack on a little bit about how she's like reading, reading up on the all of the guys and she's having a great time. And then she FaceTimes with the boy of her dreams, cool boy, Kevin. And <laughs> he asks her out and then she goes, now nah, I'm too busy and hangs up and goes back to reading her book, Girl Power. Oh, yeah, you love to see it. But I also was- I did write a note that was like, wow, that's, like, so Gen Z to just FaceTime instead of text someone. He could have just texted her. (laughs) FaceTime? That's a whole thing. That's so stressful to me. That someone could just FaceTime you at any moment? No. I'm sweating. I think that it's more visually, like,
1: clear for kids if you do it that way. Oh, yeah, maybe- Right. I maybe it seems less cheesy to kids now that somebody calls someone for something that short as opposed to like how they would normally show it where you're where they're texting each other out loud.
0: Oh my god, maybe yeah, you're right. It also it just it's it just makes this like generation gap seem bigger, I guess, too. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make sense too? It's like, oh kids do be on their phone. <laughs> When I was 14, I had a flip phone. (laughs) (laughs) I had an Inuyasha
1: background on my flip phone and phone charms on my flip phone.
0: You know what, though? This movie, at no point did they use their phone to solve a problem. This was was fucking old school. Like, goosebumps. Like, you didn't have a phone to call an adult, so you had to figure it out. So I really like that. They communicated and checked in with each other, like, logically
1: with phones, which was yeah, cool. Obviously. It's not like they weren't there. They, they just didn't Google things. everything.
0: They just were like, oh, things are afraid of light, I will make light happen. I love to see it. All right, now let's talk about the Grand Guignol. Now that uh, we've gotten through the the meat of this, it's time to talk about Tom Felton. First of all, the first time you see him are just his fingers coming around from a door and they str- they stretch out. And I was like, this is disgusting. I'm gonna hate this. <laughs> and then he never gets that like creepy again. He's just a guy. He's truly just British Beetlejuice. It's, uh, yeah, he's just dirty. He's got greasy hair, but also there's like glitter in it. Like the book about him, his little profile says he smells like eggs. He smells like eggs, and uh, (laughs) he's wearing a uh, patchwork, funky little trench coat deal. Oh, and it's so cool. He spins in the light, and the lining on the inside was, like, teal or green and shimmery. And then he had, like, a a tie made out of those pieces of metal that looked like scales. Yes, he had one of those, like, punk rock stud-like ties, and I loved it. It was the most interesting character design where like all the details get completely lost on screen. I I wish that they'd punched him up a little bit almost because it was like really cool, but there was just so much going on and it wasn't really about him. I feel like he just kind of overall looked grimy. And then you like see the details and you're like, holy shit, this costume is really good. I, I think
1: it's just because he wasn't in it enough for you to take in the details sometimes, you know? It's
0: true. He was the main villain, but he wasn't really in it enough because they had to cram so much other information.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting that he was so underutilized because it's clear that the guy who wrote these books, who also adapted it into the films, um, it's clear that he was going to do- Like, he put in a lot of thought into this because Grand Mignol isn't just the name of this guy- I learned right before we recorded this. It's also just it's it's the name of a French theater and then it's been adapted as like a term for uh, naturalistic uh, over the top melodramatic horror shows uh, mm-hmm. being on stage to movies to um, you know now with examples like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was something that I saw pop up And most recently, Hannibal. (laughs) So it's really interesting that this guy did like all this, had this
0: little nod to this, and then he didn't really do a lot with the character. I feel like sometimes maybe the, the writer of the book is the worst person to do a screenplay. Yeah. Because they need someone to trim the fat, and they will not do that of their own work. So that's why we get movies that are just packed packed with lore packed with information and stuff that you can't quite all put the pieces together because they don't want to get rid of any of it it's all important to the story but they don't know how to pace it out a book takes as long or as little time as you need to read it but a movie you literally only have an hour and a half two hours overall though i i thought it was a cute movie i liked it i'm wait i'll see where the second one goes and we'll have to see if we can pick up pick up the books between then see what i'd like to see i'd like to see if a hundred percent of the information is kept in it like i feel like it is (laughs) what if we get this book and it's even more complex oh my god
1: (laughs) this would have been something i would have geeked out over as a kid so hardcore
0: yeah, we talked about that like halfway through the movie where we're like, you know what? If
1: this had been made when we were kids, we would have loved this. I think I would have even been digging it in middle school. I wouldn't have admitted it as easily because I was just one of those middle schoolers. But yeah, I remember liking the um, one R.L. Stein Haunting Hour like TV movie that came out where and it, this gave me those vibes but i don't remember what that movie was called i want to say it was mostly ghostly but i just don't know emily uh osmond
0: was in it though oh yeah that's mostly ghostly all right there we have it folks there we have it i never saw that one but i did see pictures of her holding the book for the cover and like the clip-in hair extensions mm-hmm. for her like colored like two pieces of pink or whatever the great news <laughs> We will be watching it for the podcast then.
1: Absolutely. I'm very excited. We gotta cover all of the steins. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of trimming the fat, do we have time for a story?
0: I think so. Because last week, we forgot one. And, you know, if you don't want to hear it, we'll put it after the, uh, the, the plugs. <laughs> uh, let's plug. Do you want to plug this time?
1: Okay. You can find us and Franz on Twitter at um, gmgbpodcast. You can also find us on Instagram under that handle. But, like, (laughs) use Twitter, please. Or you can also email us at that at gmail.com. Franz gets back to you as quickly as his porcelain fists can go.
0: I'm ready for my bedtime story. This week's campfire story is called The Golden Arm. It is a tale from England, the British Isles, and I'm reading it out of the book even more short and shivery, which is the uh, like a haunted story compilation that I've had since I was a kid. There was once a handsome but miserly man who traveled far and wide in search of a wife. He cared little that a woman was young or old. Pretty or plain, sweet-tempered or shrewish, he only insisted that she be rich, not poor. At last he found a beautiful woman, who was raven-haired, blue-eyed, and rosy cheeks, with lips as full and ripe as cherries. She had been born without a right arm, but her father was so rich, he had had the finest goldsmith in England fashion her an arm of gold. It was this, and her own fortune, that made the miser decide to marry her. In truth, he was fonder of her golden arm than all of his wife's other gifts combined. At first, the young woman was in love with her husband and dreamed that her good nature would sweeten his sour disposition, but his greed and miserliness soon turned her as sharp and bitter as himself. They spent long days and longer nights arguing. Whenever it seemed that she might go away and leave him, he would stroke her cheek, pat her golden arm, and promise to mend his pinch-penny ways. But he never did. Again and again, she would threaten to leave, but she never did. As time went on, the man grew even more tight-fisted with their money. In the depth of winter, his shivering wife said, We have no wood, we lack for coals. Outside the winds howl like lost souls. Husband dear, I beg you please, let me buy fuel before we freeze. But he answered, Wood and coal cost more each day. I will not pay and pay and pay, and so throw all my wealth away. Not one penny will you get today. When their underfed horse no longer had the strength to pull their ancient carriage, his wife pleaded, Our starving horse is skin and bone, our greaseless carriage wheels groan." Husband, dear, I beg you, please let me buy some oats and grease. But all he would say was, Oats and grease cost more each day. I will not pay and pay and pay, and so throw all my wealth away. Not one penny will you get today. They had no food in the larder, and the hunger made the poor woman frantic. She begged, our tea is weak, our soup is thin. We live on crusts and turnip skins. Husband dear, I beg you please, let me buy some meat and cheese. But his answer was always the same. Meat and cheese cost more each day, I will not pay, and pay and pay, and so throw all my wealth away, not one penny will you get today. Soon his wife grew sickly from lack of food and from loneliness. She would sit by the cold hearth, the fingers of her hand of flesh twined around the fingers of her golden hand, listening to the wind whistle up and down the chimney. Her husband often sat beside her just as silent, his eyes drawn always to the golden arm which seemed to grow more beautiful every day, while her other arm wasted away. Finally, she took to her bed, knowing she would not rise from it again. Her husband sat beside her, stroking the golden arm while she said, husband, as my last request, I charge you. See that I shall rest for all eternity in the gown I wore as bride, with my golden arm beside, then shall I slumber peacefully. He nodded and patted her golden arm. Then she sighed and closed her eyes a final time. After she was dead, her husband put on his tall black hat and long black coat and even managed to have a few tears in his eyes when he met his wife's family at her funeral. When she was laid to rest in the churchyard, he wept as though his heart were broken. But as soon as the other mourners were gone in the dead of night, he returned to their churchyard. There, he dug up his wife's coffin and took her golden arm. Then he hurried home with his ghastly treasure, certain that no one would ever know what he had done. To keep the golden arm safe from thieves, he hid it under his bed pillows. For two nights, he fell asleep, dreaming dreams of golden kingdoms. But on the third night, just as he was drifting into sleep, he suddenly woke up, thinking he heard footsteps on the staircase. I locked the door with special care. Surely there is no one there, he told himself as he drew the covers up to his chest. He heard the sound again, a step or two higher. That's just a mouse upon the stair. Surely there is no one there. But he drew the bedclothes up to his chin all the same. A third time he heard the sound. A drape was moved by restless air. Surely there is no one there, he whispered. But he drew the blankets up to his nose. One more time, he heard the faint sound of a footstep. Now it was just outside the door to his room. Mustering all his courage, he said aloud, I have no reasons to beware, and yet I must know who is there. At these words, the ghost of his dead wife glided into the room. She stood at the foot of the bed and stared at him reproachfully. Pretending not to be afraid, he spoke to the ghost, saying, Your raven hair's grown lank and gray. She answered, The grave has stolen its sheen away. Your hollow eyes brim with dismay The grave has stolen my joy away Your cheeks are marked by sad decay The grave has stolen their bloom away Your gown is stained with moss and clay The grave has stolen its beauty away Why have you left your grave this day? To fetch my arm you stole away At this, the man cried out and backed away from the ghost as deep into the pillows on his bed as he could, but before he could deny the theft, he felt fingers hard as steel, cold as the grave, wrap around his throat. In a moment, there was only silence. In another moment, there was a footfall on the stair, a gleam of gold, then nothing there. The end. (sighs) Hell yeah. I had to mute myself because I wanted to be like, what a dick. (laughs) I know, right? When I first went back and looked through the book, it reminded me of that, that Quibi short of the girl, the woman with the golden arm. And then Nova told me that it was about how she was obsessed with her arm that was making her sick. And I was like, wow, truly, this had to have been the same story. But you know how like myths and legends and stories get twisted over time and changed. And yeah, that one was just a different perspective that one made the, the like husband look like a good guy i hate that this one was like this guy fucking sucks yeah i was gonna say uh talk about an example of a non tolerable male character huh <laughs> absolutely well if you are still listening thank you so much we hope you enjoyed the story stay strange and we'll see you on the other side